What the heck is going on? We learned something very important about the science this week. And I say that we already knew, but it was confirmed. And that is the science we were fed early on, the science that insisted that the gain of function story was highly unlikely, was actually orchestrated by the NIH's subcontractor at the Wuhan Institute for Virology of virology. This is our new reality. Yes, the science is a sham. Bracing thoughts beginning this week in Common Sense uh, for the last week of May 2021, starring you, Paul Jacob. With you, Timothy Verkula. Yeah, yeah, I'm in sepia in the background in the, in the video, so no one cares about that. Uh, but <laughs> we're commenting on the big stories of the week that have appeared at thisiscommonsense.org. And your first big story was on Monday, and you wanted to start there, is that correct? Yes, I do. And we'll start there. We may finish there, too, just because this is a gigantic story. This is a story that we picked up off of, I believe it was a Time Magazine piece uh, uh, about this Wuhan lab, about the fact that Fauci had sent money there, him being in you know, it's not like he licked the envelope and mailed it, but, you know, he's the guy who's who's the head over there. And whether or not it was gain-of-function research, but clearly there was gain-of-function research happening there, it seemed to be clear, it seemed to be reported, and there was so little interest in it. We, we got a lot of interest when, when we did the commentary. This was a year ago, basically, and yet crickets in the mainstream media. And then there were all kinds of reports that this is silly and it's unlikely. Uh, there was a letter by a number of scientists and that's what I was referring to earlier. These scientists, these 27, I believe it was scientists, three of which now say that they think there needs to be more investigation into a potential lab leak. But these scientists were put together by the fellow who got the grant from NIH and who then sent it to that Wuhan lab. Now, don't you think he's just slightly conflicted? And, you know, that, oh, he's such a bad guy. But wait a second. This is the Washington Post reporting this. This is the New York Times. This is all the networks. Do journalists not have any accountability whatsoever? Did they not ask, oh, who are these scientists? Oh, let me look at the names. Hey, do they have any connection to any of these things? I mean, this is that this is that they still go to work and don't just write their letter of resignation and mail it. I, I don't know why. It's and and the the interesting thing about this is the spin now, which is, and it's going out on throughout this this week. Here's an article today. This is this is how I spend my mornings, you know, needing uh, probably some sort of, uh, of uh, blood pressure medication. There was an article today. The article is entitled, Renewed Focus on Wuhan Lab Scrambles, Scrambles the Politics of the Pandemic. Oh, what a funny way the ball bounces. When we block a story 
We pretend it doesn't exist. We pretend there's a bunch of evidence and reason and officials and study that has told us it doesn't exist. Don't look at it, unimportant, debunked. But <laughs> turns out we didn't have any good reason to say any of those things. But here's what they say. And this is just a little reading between the lines. And if you know anything about the, the facts of this story, and it, this is common sense, uh, I not only encourage you to go and, uh, and, and read this piece, it's called The Wooden Noses, Pinocchios. And, um, and we also have lab rats, one, two, and three, three different commentaries when this story started to break again. And, uh, and it, at lab rats three, actually, there's links to all the stories we've done on this, but um, including the stories that were, you know, way back last year. Yes, yes. This is this is something that that we're kind of proud of, because we smelled it, as I say in this piece, uh, you know, your schnoz is in working order if you smell a rat or a bat. Uh, but here's what the Washington Post in this piece today says, quote, Republicans saying they feel vindicated because some pointed to the lab early on have been pushing the lab leak theory more aggressively at congressional hearings and in conservative media outlets. Of course, end of quote for, for the moment, of course, because they're going to be debunked and told that they're bringing up some conspiracy theory if they were to say that to a reporter with the Washington Post. But I go on. Quote, and Democrats say the departure of former President Donald Trump, who often talked about the pandemic in racially charged terms, makes it easier to consider the theory without potentially offensive undertones. So here's their whole excuse that they had to lie about it. They had to pretend this couldn't have happened because otherwise they would have given some credit to Donald Trump and, and credit, not really any credit. They would have not been able to blame 100 percent of the virus, all the deaths, all the blood on Trump. Our media became the most kind of sickening, bloody shirt uh, type propagandist imaginable. And so let's just cut through it all. Here's what happened. No, we're not going to cover the fact that this may have been a leak from a Chinese lab. That would make the Chinese, the genocidal Chinese totalitarians, the folks I refer to as the Chinazis, that would make them look bad. We don't want them to look bad. We want Donald Trump to look bad. We want to hang this pandemic around Donald Trump's neck. And look, I think he did some good things. Because I have a feeling that this uh, vaccine was, I'm not sure I want to take, but all my loved ones have taken. Uh, I have the antibodies. That's what I keep saying. But anyway, um, uh, I think he did some things to push that were good. I think cutting off travel from China, which I think would not have happened if it weren't for, for Donald Trump, wouldn't have happened for weeks, maybe longer than just weeks. And that would have been disastrous. Uh, and so I think he did some good things. I also think... He's not a, you know, a, a kind of a government manager type guy. And I think he did some bad things, too. I think he's not the clearest speaker on these sorts of subjects. But of course, even in this piece today in The Washington Post, uh, which is a lot like the one that I talked about on Monday, where they bring certain facts out. 
But in all of these, none of them do they have any introspection about, well, why didn't you push against some of these? Why was your coverage so slanted? That never comes up. They try to make it a Republican Democrat type thing, but the media is the Democratic Party. The media, the Washington Post, the New York Times are the most powerful super PACs that the Democratic Party has. And to speak of them as anything more than super PACs is really to pretend. So um, this, is, this is what we see. And I think it's why this story is so important. There was also a little piece of this story. Uh, it was on the front page and they had two little things you could go on, uh, two stories off of this. One story was that China wasn't very happy. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, the, the China Nazis aren't happy. It, it makes the morning coffee just a little tastier. But anyway, the other one was that Facebook has decided they're not going to ban posts about this anymore. And so the realization just sits right there on the front page of your paper that your high tech social media service, which, you know, both gives you the opportunity to do social media and polices and regulates you, they now are going to let us speak again about it. That is so good. And, and is this the way it's supposed to work? That you have an official kind of government line and the media trumpets that line and the social media trumpets that line and blocks anybody from saying anything that's not part of that line. And then when finally the truth comes out, they all go, oh, gee, shucks, except, and, and I was going to say sorry, except they don't say sorry. Facebook's not coming out and saying, gosh, we're really sorry about this. The Washington Post isn't saying, how could we have been so blind? How could we have not covered this story? And how could we have, when the tiny amount that we did cover it, we lied and tried to pretend it was no story. We actively wanted people not to think about it, not to investigate it, not to consider it, not to debate it. That's what our social media and journalist is all about now. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't say anything about it. Don't tell your neighbor. Shut up. That's our new freedom of speech. And this story just is a slam dunk in their face. And, and that's why we're going to keep talking about it. And it is so, it's sad because it shows that we haven't won any of the battle yet. But the fact that the Washington Post has this long, you know, if they only had the courage to just apologize, but it is, if you read between the lines, it's, we're sorry, here's an excuse, here's some finger pointing, we're sorry, here's, we're going to point to the political people, they did it all wrong, it wasn't us, they're going to continue to do the spin. And here's the, the funny thing about all of this, in a sense, I'm not arguing that this came from a leak in, Wu, uh, in a Wuhan lab. I'm just saying, why would you not, why would you start out with, we're not going to investigate that? Does that make any sense? And why would any of the media believe what the WHO or Chinese folks are saying about their own lab? Who takes a letter from a scientist who literally was the money funneler for the whole operation 
and doesn't bother to tell any of the people that they're reporting it to that that's who did it. Is it because they don't know? You're fired. You're not capable of doing a job as a journalist if you don't know that. Did you actively hide it? Well, now you're fired and we don't even feel sorry for you losing your job. I mean, this, this is just outrageous. No sense of shame, uh, but, but folks out there who, and I know there's a lot, uh, just from talking with different people I know, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more who have followed this story. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, and you, you wonder like in someplace like China where they control the media, how much does the public really know? How much are they able to, to read between the lines? And we've mentioned several times as we're discussing these subjects, that there was that app clubhouse, I think it was, that all of a sudden got going in China and they were able to freely say things without being censored because it's like the, the CCP was a step behind in, in censoring. And, uh, and when they had all kinds of criticisms for their government, they do read between the lines. Unfortunately, now that's what we have to do a lot in the United States of America. We have to read between the lying lines of our media. And, and, you know, I don't relish, I don't like to call people liars, uh, but liar is almost, you know, there, there's a certain responsibility in actually lying. This is like trickery. This, is, this isn't even ethically up to the standard of lying in my mind. You have to be more personally engaged to lie. This is like this big, just smokescreen to trick Americans. And, you know, I know so many media people who I respect very much and who, because I know a lot of media people, I know plenty, okay. I, I saw Tim in the little screen here kind of go, what? <laughs> no, I know, I know a bunch of media people who I, I dearly love and respect uh, and some I don't know well enough to love, but I do respect uh, Glenn Greenwald for one, but, but, uh, but they were so offended by Donald Trump saying, that the, the, the mainstream media is the enemy of the people. Well, the best way to fight back against that label is to make it ridiculous. Instead, this story makes it true. If you, even if your intentions are really wonderful and flowery and smell good and everything, if you are spinning the news, if you are giving us not the whole truth, but the parts of the truth that you think we deserve to have, you are not our friend, you are our enemy. And it's just as simple as that. And, and I mean, and I say this, I love media. I love the, the, the debate of ideas and the, it's, it's all wonderful stuff. But I also say it because we need you. We need there to be people finding stories and telling us the truth and the whole truth. That's what we desperately need because I think we, as like the citizens of America, ought to be making all these decisions, not just kind of applauding from the cheap sheet, the cheap seats. <laughs> that almost became became an international incident. Anyway, we we want to actually make the decisions. That's what democracy really is. And that's the democracy that's dying every day at the Washington Post. I just heard Dave Rubin uh, uh, just just say something that I've indicated before, which is the idea that we could be at war. 
that is, if it is from a biochemical lab doing gain of function research and more, this is weapon grade material and we don't know how it leaked. I mean, we always want to say that it's an accident. Everybody says it's an accident, but as you said, it could also be sabotaged or conspiracy. Uh, that's Those are two things that are possible. And since Americans had their uh, presence in that lab, we can't even rule out an American conspiracy of some sort. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying that right, it's right. it's an open thing, and that you suggested. I'm I'm willing to say right now that those are really strong open possibilities, and that we could have been at war for the last year. It uh, could have been an act of war. I suspect that um, we wouldn't go to war against China in the way that you know the World War II movies show. Uh, we wouldn't be storming the beaches. We wouldn't be. Uh, it's 1.4 billion people. They have weapons and stuff. What would have happened is not that kind of war with hundreds of thousands, if not millions dead. What would have happened is the American people would have woken up to the reality. The Chinazis are at war with us. The Chinazis are at war with us. Why do I call them Chinazis? I call them Chinazis because they're not communists. And you have to understand your enemy. And I think so often they get called communist and then smart people read a little bit and realize they're not communist. And so the people who are complaining about the totalitarian, tyrannical, genocidal, murderous, torturous, sell their body parts on the open market type behavior of the Chinese government. And they dismiss it because, oh, they were saying they were communists, but they're not really communists. Boy, they raised a lot of people out of poverty. It is important that we understand who they are and what they've done in Tibet, what they've done in Xinjiang, what they've done in Hong Kong, what they want to do and continually threaten to do against 24 million people in Taiwan. You know, Taiwan is the population of Australia. It's a big place. And you know what? They produce a lot of computer chips. Um, and, and the truth is you don't, you don't deserve to live or die because of the computer chips you make. But there's a lot of people who would like to get their hands on those computer chips. And Taiwan's pretty much willing to sell them on the free and open market because they're a free and open society. And that's worth something. There's so much out there in terms of China these days. And I felt like a couple of years ago, that it's as if World War III has begun in the same way that World War II began years before anybody realized there's a war going on. And what I say by that, you know, the, the, the Japanese went into Manchuria in 1931. You know, we think of Pearl Harbor in 1941, or we think of, you know, September 39, when, when uh, you know, Germany and, and Russia split up Poland. But, um, but things were going on long before that. I have referred oftentimes in discussions to uh, Taiwan as the Sudetenland of, of modern times, because in essence, you know, Germany claimed the Sudetenland because Germans live there, ethnic Germans. And, uh, and, and basically the powers that be handed over the Sudetenland in essence, to Germany, and then of course Germany just kept gobbling up things. But um, but the truth is, Germany had no right to take that 
piece of property in the same way that, especially people who know any of the history of Taiwan and China, which is not, you know, Taiwan has not always been part of China, just out there saying, hey, we're Chinese. And, and so there's, there's a tremendous history there where they've been an independent uh, country of, they've never been part of the People's Republic of China. And even uh, probably their most productive period was when they were uh, a property of Japan. Uh, and were in essence, between 19, uh, or 1895 and 1945, Japan ruled uh, uh, Taiwan as, a, as sort of a colony, except Japan was pulling, you know, it's, it's the first island chain. So Taiwan's part of the same island chain that Japan and the Philippines and, and, uh, and in fact, Taiwan is closer geographically to Japanese territory, an island out there in the Pacific that's close to, to Taiwan than it is 80, 90, 100 miles across the Taiwan Strait to, to China. But all of that, there, there's all kinds of interesting history. You know, in 1895, before the Japanese got there to take over, Taiwan declared independence. It's, you know, and, and in essence, when you look at their history in terms of do they somehow belong to China? Well, Taiwan belongs to the Taiwanese, to the people who live there, and they should make the decisions regardless of the past history. But the reality is they don't in any historical way have the, the ties that a lot of people think they have. And even the, the Chinese who came over after World War II, and especially after they lost the Civil War against Mao, most of them today, according to all the, the public opinion surveys, view themselves not as Chinese anymore, but as Taiwanese. Anyway, we had a, uh, a script this week called Not Being Norway, and I think this is such an important message. It's a message about Taiwan because a number of Taiwanese students went to, to Norway to study. And of course they have their passport, which is Republic of China, but says in big letters, Taiwan, it's a Taiwan passport. They do not view themselves as Chinese in the sense of Chinese Taipei, which is what, what uh, China likes to call them. Um, and for the longest time, uh, Norway had no problem with this. You know, Norway is a pretty nice country. I point out, you know, they were rated the best democracy in the world. You know, they give the Nobel Peace Prize. They're into peace and goodness. And, you know, they're just the good guys, not the bad guys. And yet they are refusing to allow Taiwanese to write Taiwan on these forms that Norway has and demanding that they write China and that they say they are Chinese. So these students, and you, you gotta love it. Uh, it's why I say that, that uh, you know, I, I see it as kind of uh, being American suing people, <laughs> but it's not really American. As long as you have freedom, Saying to someone, you know what, you're not going to get away with that is pretty universal. So these Taiwanese students took uh, Norway to court. They went all the way to the uh, Norwegian Supreme Court. They lost, partly because the EU in, you know, has been kowtowed into endorsing the, uh, the one China policy, which is, which is basically shorthand for China can take over and dominate and, and commit genocide against anybody they want. Uh, 
you know, they just have to claim it's part of China. And, um, but now they're taking it to the, uh, to the European uh, Human Rights Court. And you have a right to say who you are and what your nationality is and so on. So one part of it, and I know this is not the part <laughs> that uh, Timo likes as well as the other, is the identity and so on that they get their, their uh, Taiwanese identity. But here's the flip side of the whole identity, because, you know, when, when I think of people from Norway, I think pretty good thoughts. I got to tell you, I think pretty good thoughts. I like those people. I don't even know them. And I like them because their reputation precedes them. And their reputation is good people who care about rights and their fellow man and so on and so on. So, so I really like them. That's their identity in my head. Now, not so much. And you wonder why does a country like Norway, all of a sudden they're gonna to get tough on whether you can write where you're really from, or you have to write that you're from China? Well, here's what happened. And it's, it, maybe it should be filed under no good deed goes unpunished. But Norway is the country that Alfred Nobel picked to give the Nobel Peace Prize. You're right, uh, Tim, it's Sweden gives the other prizes, but Norway does the Peace Prize. And so the government of Norway actually picks people to be on that committee. So there's some government connection, but they then are independent. They don't, you know, they, you don't go to jail if you pick the wrong person or anything. <laughs> that's, the, that's what China doesn't like about it. But anyway, uh, so the Chinese got pretty upset because uh, Lu Jibo, I think I almost pronounced that correctly, but he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2010. He was born in China, lived in China, uh, was, uh, I think he was working abroad, came back and got involved in the Tiananmen Square uh, protests, uh, was a major leader and spokesperson, spent some time in jail because of that, continued to work for democracy, basic rights, that they ought to have elections, that the communists cadre shouldn't go meet somewhere and decide all the rules of society while 90% plus of the Chinese people are left out to be nothing but peasants and, and uh, basically slaves of one sort or another. Um, and he kept saying those things and doing those things in a completely nonviolent way. And of course, he won the Nobel Peace Prize while in prison a few years after that, he died while in a Chai Nazi prison. So they weren't happy about him getting the Peace Prize. And they want to shut up people who talk about it. They want to shut up people who talk against them. They don't want them getting Peace Prizes. They want them to die in a prison. That's what's supposed to happen according to the CCP. And so they immediately did things like embargoes against Norwegian salmon. Uh, the Norwegian salmon sale to China dropped by 70%. Basically, I think they only bought the salmon to, that they had to. Um, all kinds of other things happened. They wouldn't talk to Norway for a long time. In 2014, this is four years later, Norway snubbed the Dalai Lama who had, they had met with in all the previous times, but they decided not to meet with him. And 
this is this is just it just makes you want to cry. This is what I wrote. Prime Minister Erna Solberg explained her 2014 snubbing of the Dalai Lama as a quote necessary sacrifice in order to show China that it's important for us to have a dialogue with them. So here is Norway, one of the good guys, becoming one of the bad guys. And that's what they become, sacrificing what's right and just for trade deals with totalitarians, I wrote, is no way to be Norway. And, and basically, this is something we're going to be confronted with again and again. And look, I like money. I'm not a communist. I'm not against people getting rich. I'm not against people doing what's in their best interest. But there's a line. And when you are doing business with murderers, with torturers, that's the line. And, and that, I just, I don't know how you give any quarter to that. And so it, you know, we have determined that genocide's going on in China. This is, it's, it's the same situation, except they weren't as upfront about it before World War II, but it's the same situation. Now in, in the camps, I don't think they're killing them. They're sterilizing them. There's reports of forced gang rapes, all kinds of things like that. But there's no reports that they just murder them all. So maybe, maybe we should give what, a B plus to China? No, we have to respond. And again, I don't pretend to be an expert to know everything we should do, but we cannot ignore the reality. And, uh, and when you think about a country like Norway snubbing the Dalai Lama and being a jerk to kids who are there to learn something that, that you know they're glad are there. This is, a, this is all good except this stupid policy. And it's a tiny thing. This is not, you know, should we all drop everything because of these students have to fill out some form? No, it's a tiny thing. But so often these little things show us where the big stuff is at. On Tuesday, going back a few days, and that was a Thursday piece, uh, you talk about another big thing with uh, little things showing what's going on in our school systems. Yes, this, uh, um, boy, it's, thank goodness California has recall. <laughs> because, because they sure as heck need it. And, you know, there's one way to look at this, and, and uh, this script is, is uh, democracy, or, or I'm sorry, discord meets democracy. So uh, the democracy it's meeting is the recall process. But the San Francisco School Board, how do you get a group of crazies like this and we could, it was, this was kind of tough to write because you, you delve into the subject just a little bit and you realize it is so deeply layered with insanity and partisan political insanity. And uh, it just, you've got one school board person who uh, is all about oppression and the whole kind of critical race theory and everything's racism, except she gets removed. This is Alison Collins, who's now a commissioner 
on the San Francisco school board. She was vice president, but then they found tweets where she had called uh, uh, Asian Americans, you know, that they are they employ white supremacist thinking to assimilate and get ahead, uh, and that uh, their house n words, um, and and of course this comes out, and so here is this person. She's been pushing things like let's not use grades or test scores to decide who goes to the most demanding academic high school, which has always been the case in the past. And of course, uh, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that Asians are going to be a lot less represented because they seem to be studying the most. They seem to be scoring the best, getting the best grades and getting the most places in this in this particular school so that she has attacked Asians because of their race is pretty interesting. Um, now I know some people believe blacks can't be racist, but I thought that was just racist against whites. If they're racist against another race, does that count? The jury's still out, I guess, but maybe someone in the comments will explain to us how that, how that works. Um, you, we point out in this piece, uh, and, and the, the real thrust of this, the reason I, I uh, was interested in it, is so many around the country, so many of these high schools, that um, there's no white supremacist uh, leanings because it isn't whites who are dominating uh, in admission, it's Asians. And, uh, and so it's kind of interesting because it seems like that, that the whole structure of the argument for why there has to be some sort of affirmative action doesn't really fit so well here. There's something happening here, but it's not the dominant racial group being supreme. It's a different racial group being supreme, which of course to me would lead you to think, what are they doing? Maybe we ought to take a peek. We could copy a thing or two maybe, but no, I'm sure that won't happen. Uh, anyway, but, but the litany of things that have gone on, for instance, Throughout all of this, all of this discussion, all of this commentary, all of this school year, they're not in person in school in San Francisco. Surrounding areas are now having in-person classes. Private schools in San Francisco in the Bay Area have, have had, had uh, in-person classes, but not San Francisco because the school board is busy doing other things. For instance, they renamed 44 schools because these schools, they said, had connections to slavery, oppression, and racism. The only thing is they, you know, one of them included Lincoln, but who, who knows? I, I don't remember the specific allegation they had, but they had all kinds of allegations that turned out to be against the wrong person of that name, against other people, erroneous, flimsy, ridiculous. Anyway, they were taken to court and they ended up backing off and deciding they wouldn't rename the schools. They, they had their superintendent quit and say he would not come back to work. I didn't even have, have room to get this into the commentary, uh, but he quit and said he would not come back unless the board signed something saying they would focus on reopening the schools instead of all the rest of the garbage that they're focused on. And they signed it. <laughs> now, they're not necessarily people of their word, but anyway, they signed it. Um, but they also, uh, after 
this uh, uh, Allison Collins was thrown out as vice president of the of the school board. She sued the school board for $87 million. Now I looked into a little bit, maybe we'll do something more on that. I looked into a little bit of the lawsuit. It's laughable, but that's, that's what, you know, when you think about who you want being in charge of the schools, you kind of want adult people who understand kids and young adults and who care about them and want to help them learn these narcissists on the on the san francisco school board these people need some serious therapy they do not need to be running a school district this is it's just it's ridiculous and uh and so it it continues and the only change that's going to come and part of this is the whole tribal way our elections go but it sure points up the importance of having a citizen initiative to reform our government when our government refuses to be reformed we can just do it and we can go over their heads referendum when they pass ridiculous draconian outrageous unpopular measures we can put it on the ballot and stop it recall when we somehow keep electing these these numbskulls well we can do something about it and three folks the president of the school board the vice president the new one and the old one commissioner allison collins are all up being recalled right now by a petition very difficult re recall process uh, at the local level in california but i i just hope and pray that they get the signatures and that this sends some sort of message that enough, we're not allowing people who are crazy to grab control of our schools and keep sending our kids there to have them prey on them. That's just, that's not gonna happen. And luckily my kids are, you know, but I got grandkids and, and uh, there's no escaping this. This is no, you know, and, and, and I, in a recent commentary suggested to people, if you can homeschool, you ought to consider it. And I and I said that very sincerely. I think you ought to consider it. And I think I think so often people who are very capable of doing it, because you don't have to be some brilliant person, um, don't think they're capable. So I, that's why I always like to encourage it, because I think a lot of people who could do a great job don't think they can. Um, and and then uh, the other thing is, you know, there are other schools available. We've got to. We've got to have some, uh, you know, some education happening out there, and not the kind of indoctrination that's going on. So, this is San Francisco. You know, you, you think about that. You think of the left. You think of San Francisco, and to see how this school board functions. If I were a leftist, I would be thinking, how can I repair the damage being done in San Francisco? because any conservative can hold it up anytime they want and say, is this, is this the sort of government you want? So, and the same things happens in some of these, some, you know, deep red states where the legislature does some ridiculous thing. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I certainly have my concerns about what I see as a rush. This is not something we wrote about. It's just a tangent point. Um, but uh, I, I think our society has become too facilitating, too eager to do surgeries and other things on transgender uh, kids. 
And I think that that's a really, you know, I, I think I think a lot of times mistakes are being made. And, and as a society, we are not paying good attention to what's happening there. But Arkansas recently passed legislation. The governor vetoed it. And I know a number of people, friends of mine who are, who are for it. Uh, I think, you know, I think they're onto something that we need to look at this. Uh, but it basically would have the state telling parents what surgeries they can or can't do for their kid. And, and that's not the direction we want to go. It's, you know, basic freedoms, respect for other people. Um, that's the way to build a heck of a prosperous and enjoyable society. So I'm recommending those. Uh, this week, uh, Matt Walsh the, from the Daily Wire uh, on his podcast, he advised conservatives to completely abandon the public schools. He says they're hopeless. There's no way around it now. There's no way to regain it. He doesn't believe there's any possible way for conservatives to gain the upper hand here because the teachers are largely now woke. So the, the religion of what I call wokeanity uh, is it's it's a it's a, an official religion of the U.S. government at almost every level. And uh, Matt Walsh was saying, let's just abandon the public schools, stop feeding them, stop uh, giving them any credence, uh, get rid of them. And I love that because I hate public schools. But uh, and that's partly because they're easy to capture by bad actors. And when you have uh, the whole system is run by the teacher teaching schools. So but you unions. well, but the but the teacher unions control the teacher schools, right. and the teacher schools have been putting out garbage. It gets more garbage every generation. From a political standpoint, the teachers unions have been pretty successful in always presenting teachers, and people tend to like teachers. Now, I went to school, and there were plenty I didn't like, so I, I don't know what people are thinking, but there were some I really loved. Uh, but we like teachers. The teachers unions are something else. And if you look at the idea, you know, the idea is to teach some of the insane notions that end up being taught in schools do not come. The insane ideas aren't coming from teachers in the classroom every day, Monday through Friday. They're coming from all the theoretical stuff and from the teachers colleges and the and the teachers unions and all these experts on how we need to mold our young people. And they've, they've gotten away from teaching the basic stuff we want them to teach. Instead, they're going to remake our children in images we aren't going to like. And, and let's just, in, in that way, let's just be glad how you know, ineffective they are. But, but the truth is, you know, I know a number of teachers uh, who are teaching right now, who are wonderful. There's the, the, the process of teaching, the whole thing. It's all wonderful stuff. But as long as it is controlled by teachers unions and politicians, and, and, and look at this, you know, nobody can question that of all the different businesses and public gatherings and so on, the safest of all, throughout this pandemic is people going to school. And it has been the least, the last to come back, the least um, push to open. And when you think about it, you know, the real cause, um, 
look, if, if the goal was to educate me, you don't need to have a public school system. I could do arithmetic, I had brothers and sisters, I had parents, they cared about me, they were pretty nice most of the time. They taught me stuff, I knew arithmetic, you know, through, you know, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. I could pretty much read, you know, uh, that was all taught at home. You need public education for folks where maybe that won't be taught at home because you want everyone having that leg up. Once you can read, if you've got the drive, you can do anything. And so that's what we're, that, that's, the, that's really the whole reason behind the public schools. And from a libertarian perspective, we can, we can certainly attack that as, well, you're not, you're not accomplishing much and you're, you're, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things happening with public schools that we could argue about. But if you accept that, okay, that's a good thing if they could do it, they're not doing it. And during this pandemic, they didn't even try to do it. Now, I've got grandkids and they got a computer and they hated the, the Zoom classes and everything else, but they had parents there that were making them do the Zoom classes and they had the computer to hook up and they had someone to follow up and say, now, weren't you supposed to do? And when they don't, they're not getting it. And, and I never worry about these gaps. You know, we're told all the time about the gap between well, more, more women go to college than men. There's a gap. No, no one's worried about that gap, <laughs> but, but I am. But I'm not worried about the gap. I'm worried that men may not be getting the education they need to succeed in life. That's my worry. It's not that women, more women are going to school. You know, like somehow if you could, you know, uh, somehow trick the women to go to some other place that wasn't really a school to where the numbers were equal, you'd be satisfied. No, the point is men are falling behind. Men aren't succeeding as much. What's that about? Let's fix that. And the same ought to be true when there's gaps in learning. It ought not to be, oh, we've closed the gap. You know, we, we hit somebody in the head enough times, they're not really doing so well anymore. So everything's equal. No, some people aren't getting it. They're not getting it at home. They're not getting it in the classroom. Maybe they have a disability. Maybe they need glasses and nobody knew. I mean, there's plenty of, of kids from good homes that they it takes longer than, than you would have liked to figure out there's an eyesight problem or there's something else. There's what is it, this dyslexia, or there's all kinds of things that can happen. We want to help those kids. If they're not in school, and they're not in school because of the political power of teachers' unions. I mean, look, nobody wants to go to work if there's the possibility of anything bad happening. But, and this is super bad. You could die from it. But you know what? You go out every year and you could catch the flu and die from it. You could do something else. You could be hit by a car. We can't allow this important thing and important to those very needy kids to just be, eh, we got the political power. Screw the kids. Screw the needy kids. They're not going to get what they need. The teachers unions, the teachers are going to get what they need. And, and if that makes you mad as a teacher, well, then take it up with your union. Well, that's three of five pieces you wrote this week. But wait, we still have UFOs. Right, that's one. And we have kindergarten kids who you might rather face the UFOs. 
Yeah. <laughs> and what we're talking about is, we'll do the UFOs last, but I'll just mention the kindergarten kids. On Friday, a lot of times we like to be a little bit lighter since, you know, since the world's coming to an end. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kidding. It is someday. It is someday. That's I don't someday. know if it's tomorrow or not. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not until way months from now. Okay. Anyway, uh, but we did a piece about a event that happened in the United Kingdom uh, where a fellow uh, basically, um, I, I take that back. It was, it was, it was a newspaper in the United Kingdom, the Independent, but it, it was in South Carolina because it was a soldier who left the base, was having some problems, I think some, some mental health issues, and did not like being on the base and decided instead of maybe thumbing a ride home or finding a way to get a bus ticket, decided to hijack a bus. And this particular bus had a bunch of different kids, but a number of them were kidney, kid, kindergarten. Uh, age and so really young kids and he decided look let's all come to the front of the bus so he can keep an eye on him as he makes his big escape well he hadn't gone very far before the kids had a few questions and um he didn't he didn't like having to answer questions the 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 title of the piece and you you might get a kick out of it is the interrogators and these interrogators were kindergarten, first grade uh, kids. And uh, he, after a couple of blocks, stopped the bus and told them all to get off instead of kidnapping them all. And a friend of mine, I had thought of this when I was writing it and I, I had thought about working it in, but I didn't. But a friend of mine said, this is the ransom of Red Chief, which of course is a, used to be a very famous story. The, uh, I think it, is it an O. Henry story? I don't know, but the ransom of Red Chief is about this kid who's maybe a little bratty, a little obnoxious, and he gets kidnapped. And the the kidnappers demand a ransom. And through the negotiating over time, pretty soon they're demanding less of a ransom <laughs> and less of a ransom. And then they're willing to pay a little bit if you'll come and get your kid. Anyway, I don't I don't remember actually how exactly that story ends, but it's that is an old Henry story. You're right. It's old Henry from 1907. Yeah, I was so young at the time. That, yeah, uh, it's it's in the book Whirly Gigs, which I have downstairs, but have not read that particular story. Well, anyway, this was uh, we. I, I mentioned that this was the feel good story of the year, or at least the first five months of the year. But but let's deal with a subject that we have now dealt with quite a bit. And that is UFOs. And we have the military coming to testify later. Uh, what is it, next month? Yeah, in June sometime. In June. I, I think uh, it might be early June, but I think they have the whole month to do it. I'm not sure. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, it wasn't quite clear the exact time. I've heard conflicting reports about when the report is going to be made. And of course, there might be, there's probably going to be several reports. There's probably going to be the one to the Intelligence Committee, one to the, the Armaments Committee, and then they're, then they're going to have a more public one. I just don't know how it's going to run. Uh, because, you know, all these people have been briefed to some degree on some of this. Uh, I mean, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have both been briefed on UFOs before they ascended into the throne of the White House this last time. 
it's been interesting what, what's brought a lot about uh, a lot of this back up to be talked about more than it had been before were the fact that you've got Navy pilots and others uh, who my, my printers now decided to do some something here. I hope it's not making too much noise. Um, anyway, uh, there's there's been these videos that show, you know, hey, uh, here's here's a, a object that looks like a you know, classic UFO. And now there's been some debunking of it saying, well, these could just be other things and illusions. And, and what's, what's interesting about it is the folks who are making these statements and saying they've seen these things are not, you know, Fred and Sally who are walking down the street, you know, uh, holding hands and all of a sudden they see something. These are Navy pilots, experienced people who've seen some of these things again and again and again. And uh, anyway, it's it, it's the sort of thing that if they're making these statements, there's only really two things that could be possible. Either they're accurate or they're actively lying. They're making them up because it's not as if they're likely to be fooled by things that anybody you know sitting out there in youtube land could look at and go wait a second i can show that that's something different to clarify people should know that you're talking mainly about the debunkings of the footage that we've seen there's like a few seconds of footage that everybody's seen from uh the 19 or the 2004 events off the coast of california uh, with the tic-tac ufos they call them uh, the, the it's flur footage so it doesn't look normal the debunkings show that almost anything doesn't look normal under flur and so right. they and so that's the, what they're saying in these debunkings uh these uh that footage was originally leaked in the 2000s, in the in the aughts. And it, it was on the internet and it batted around, as you say, uh, and it got debunked immediately by a number of sources. The most recently one that you're talking about is Thunderfoot's. Uh, right. Thunderfoot is a popular debunker. He's a really snarky engineer who makes fun of anyone who who isn't scientific in his opinion. And that's usually creationists. He, he's made his career on YouTube making fun of creationists relentlessly. This is the same kind of thing. And, and as you say, he just, he just point blank refers to David Fravor and the other pilots as UFO nuts. And your argument here is that they may be UFO nuts, but is, are they liars or are they telling the truth? And Thunderfoot does not deal with their testimony in any reasonable way because their testimony goes way beyond we can't understand this or this is weird. They have this complex uh, stories, including things that imply either advanced cryptography or telepathy. Uh, right, and right. It's just it, this, this, reactions, it, reactions that these objects are, are making are, so that are very weird. I mean, I can see why anyone would be skeptical. I mean, I really do because I always was skeptical. I'm <laughs> skeptical of, of the whole universe of it. But, and, and again, I think the reason it fits for me into so much about uh, of what we talk about from free speech and, and citizen control of government and, and so on. This is, you know, beyond everybody's pay grade, sort of. Uh, 
you know, nobody's an expert in aliens or whatever. And, and of course, maybe this has nothing to do with aliens. Maybe this is something totally different. Maybe it's a big scam. Here's what we know. We know that for decades, the military told us publicly that there's nothing to see here, that UFOs are basically not a thing. Now, it certainly appears because they're not debunking any of this. In fact, they're putting it out there and saying, hey, there's a lot here. Now it appears they're telling us UFOs are a thing. Here's what we want. We don't really want the, they're a thing, they're not a thing. We'd like a little bit more detail. What the heck is going on? And, and you know, again, it's as if the people running our government have forgotten that they work for us. We're the ones who are supposed to find out what's going on so we can make decisions. And, and part of this is probably the nature of being a world empire and having plenty of, uh, you know, coffee and pineapples and bananas to eat and so on. Uh, we're all fat and happy and, and, uh, and this is all important and they have to be secretive. We don't want our enemies to know. And, but this, I think, I mean, I hope you're as tired of this as I am. We want to know and we want some sort of, look, there could be things in here that any rational person would say, well, don't say that because that's specific, you know, like, like the old uh, Saturday Night Live uh, uh, thing where they're making fun of some of the questions the press asked when uh, when the first Gulf War was going on, where it was like, what time will the soldiers be arriving on the beach to fight? You know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. But, but, you know, so look, there are some things that can remain secret. But let's give us a full, you know, if, if, and there has to be a reason. You know, if you had, we found a weapon that we now are able to neutralize incoming nukes, you might want to keep that secret and I can kind of understand and history will look back on you and probably say, yeah, yeah, we're all right with that. But we want to know how much, what do you think these are? Let's have a full discussion. Um, and if the, if the, if the answer really is, you know what, we don't think we can tell people this because it's of such national security importance or something. Well, tell us that. And of course, everyone's going to be awfully inquisitive. On Facebook this week, I, I said what I think is really going on and I think and what the political ramifications are. I believe that this shows that we don't live in a republic, that we ceased living in a real republic in world, after World War II. I consider it a military conservatorship. Our governments and our elections and all that stuff, they're allowed to do so much, but Barry Goldwater was screamed at by Curtis, General Curtis LeMay, his good friend, for demanding to see what was at, uh, I believe it was Area 51, but it could have been uh, the, the, one, of the major, one of the major bases that is said to have UFO material. He went there and, and uh, he was turned away. Uh, Harry Reid says that he wasn't allowed to see, he wasn't, wasn't allowed to see information. And there have been many cases where even admirals of the U.S. government, that's the big scandal that happened a year and a half ago, I think it was. There was a famous case of in the late 1990s or early 2000s, an admiral started inquiring about this stuff. And he went to one of the major contractors 
in the military industrial complex. One of those big names. And I've, I don't remember if it's you know, Raytheon or McDonnell Douglas, but one of those. And demanded to, he, he, he found tracks that had UFO written all over them and went to them. And the admiral in charge of the, one of the biggest men in the uh, Pentagon said he didn't have clearance to see what was there. Now, this strikes me as the sign, if true, that strikes me that we don't live in a republic. If major corporations can keep the Pentagon out of their business on national security grounds, then who rules this thing? In that particular case, you know, there may be some, you know, argument. I, I don't know that every admiral has certain clearances or whatever, but the bottom line is if we, if we have secret government, that does all kinds of things that we don't know anything about, that has secret courts and makes secret decisions. At a certain point, it's not a citizen-controlled oh, government. It's, it's not, not the republic. And, and of course, this is, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. It's a, you know, the whole UFOs always has that mystique of, you know, uh, the Twilight Zone or something. But, but this is so in line with everything else that we are constantly being made spectators. We are constantly the rabble and not the sovereigns. And that doesn't end well. And frankly, it doesn't end well for us here in America. It doesn't end well for the world. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, we want to spread this idea of citizen control of government. The idea that that leaders should control everything and we ought to just shut up and you know applaud when told, that's been around a long time and it's making a heck of a comeback. The saddest part is it's making a heck of a comeback in the land of the free and among the highly educated. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Common Sense starring Paul Jacob. This program can be found on the web at thisiscommonsense.org during the weekends. It's hosted on SoundCloud and can be found through various podcatchers. My name is Timothy Verkula, and you can find me at at Workman and Workman.com. That's Workman with an I, not an O, and at Locofoco.net. Please join us next week, because if you don't, I mean, I gotta wonder, how will you know what the heck is happening?